video clips. It's going to take us about 10 minutes to get through them. And these are four clips from four, uh, essentially four couples, um, three couples and one individual who spent some significant time with us here at the vineyard and they're no longer with us. Uh, They're out doing kingdom work. And the reason I wanted to show you these clips in particular, uh, it's a couple reasons. Number one, I, I just wanted the church to know who we've been supporting financially for the last year. There's a lot of stuff that happens here at the vineyard. And even if you're very much a part of the church, it's entirely possible that you don't even know some of the stuff that we're doing. It just sort of invisibly happens. And uh, I want everybody to know where some of our money's going to. So when you guys give a tithe or an offering here at the vineyard, that tithe and offering goes to keep the lights on. It goes to pay the staff salaries. goes to make sure that ministry happens. But we also give a tithe of what we receive from you. We give 10% of that away to some other people in some other places. And we've sown into some people we love. This last year we sowed into people that we had a heart connection to who were once here. And now they're somewhere else. Uh, and we just wanted to bless them. But the second reason I want to show you these videos this morning is I want you to see... and. I've appreciated seeing it already a couple times. I want you to see what it looks like in real life to sell your whole life for the gospel. Like we need, we need examples. And of course we have Jesus, but we need, some, we need some examples that are among us. What does it look like to give your life to the gospel? And we have four really good examples. Uh, I am going to give you one disclaimer. The first video we have this morning, the quality sucks. So just forgive us and listen, all right? Why don't we go ahead and play those? Hi, Vineyard family. My name is Ashley Mulder, and I live and work in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, in the inner city. During the Life Launch program at the Vineyard, God sent me to downtown Jackson to work with a ministry called We Will Go. And it was during that time that God showed me that I had made a lot of beautiful plans for my life, but I had never once asked him what he had for me. So it was during that time that God said, you know, will you lay down your plans and follow me? And I said, yes. And the heart of we will go is to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor like we would want to be loved. So it's very simple. Um, Many of the missionaries that live and work here and are discipled here are living in what used to be condemned houses that were at one time used for drugs or um, they were used as brothels. But now those condemned houses, a lot of them have been given to We Will Go anonymously to be used for ministry. So the homes have been restored as a picture of what Christ has done in our lives. And then... um, People do full-time ministry out of these homes. So people downtown know that Christians live in the houses, so they feel comfortable coming here and asking for prayer, asking for help when there's an emergency. So that's what a lot of our ministry looks like. We um, have a clothing shop and a food pantry and things like that for basic needs. This year, uh, the YMCA in our city also leased us the YMCA. They leased it to We Will Go for a dollar a year so that we can open it for free to the public. And that has really been so much fun. Um, We have an apartment that's out of the YMCA where single male missionaries live and work. And then there's also a coffee shop we just opened. So there's another business 
downtown where people can be employed and discipled. We have a woodworking shop out of the YMCA where, again, people can be employed and discipled. And um, the Y has really opened the door to many of the families in our community. So that's been a huge blessing. Thank you, guys. And we love you. Blessings from Jackson. And I uh, hope to see you guys soon. Morning. We are Greg and Jennifer Evans. We live in Indonesia. We teach, coach, and mentor at Mountain View Christian School. And what we do on an everyday basis is that we get to dorm parent um, ten wonderful girls, and um, and it's just such a one-on-one -on -one discipleship opportunity. Um, we live on this island of Java in Indonesia. It's the most populated island, and. It's a wonderful place. Yeah, and uh, we're headed back there tomorrow morning at 6. So we're a, a little, little tired, tired right now, <laughs> yeah. getting ready to go. Um, but we just want to send you guys a message and say thanks for uh, being supporters of ours and everything. And so how did we get over there? How did we get to be these mentors and things over in Indonesia? Um, well, when we were in college, um, the Lord spoke to both of us through some, some dreams and uh, through a lot of prayer and things, and really placed Indonesia heavily on our hearts, the, the people, the school, uh, just Indonesia in general, on our hearts, and then brought us together in that calling. And so we just pursued Indonesia together with the Lord, and um, He's just been our extravagant provider since then, and so we've seen Him provide in just incredible ways, and one of those ways is through you all as our family. And so, yeah, thanks. We miss you guys. <laughs> hey guys, this is Alan and Anna Mulliken. I went to Campbellsville, graduated there in 2008, and, and uh, really loved the vineyard. Anna loves it as well. I wish she could make it back more often than we do. Um, but we're here in Long Beach, California, uh, working with an organization called Church Resource Ministries. So Long Beach is a city of about 500,000. Uh, just south of LA. Um, it's a, a really diverse place. It has the uh, the third largest LGBT community in the country. Um, and it's been pretty resistant to the gospel uh, over time. Uh, since 2000, there's been around 50 churches planted and only seven or eight are still around. So what we do in Long Beach is we try to connect people with Jesus. Uh, there's a lot of people here who feel very far from the church and therefore equate that to being far from Jesus. Um, and so what we really do is to reconcile people to Jesus and show them that he, uh, he really loves them and he really wants them in the kingdom. We do, I would say, three major things in the city. Um, we try to reconcile people to Jesus through the means of healing. So a lot of times that's actually through inner healing with pre-believers, and it's so beautiful to see Jesus encounter these people and how much their hearts turn towards him through that experience. We also um, gather pre-believers into groups and kind of discovery groups. So we read about Jesus in a discovery style, and then we also help them experience Jesus through power and love. And then thirdly, we actually coach leaders in the city, Christian leaders, who are making a contribution of moving Long Beach towards the kingdom, and so we can empower them to do that even better. So God called me to Long Beach through a time with him. Um, I saw an image of a person walking down the street with a drink in their hand. They were really tipsy and unsteady and looked deeply and happy. Um, he said, that's the people of Long Beach. They're getting um, drunk and sick on spirituality that is toxic. And um, 
they are sheep without a shepherd. They need to be gathered into communities and shepherded. And that just grabbed my heart for this city. For me, I felt the call of this kind of life uh, kind of early on. I grew up in the church, and a lot of my friends had walked away from the Lord. Um, and so really felt a call to be among those people who feel like they're far from God, like God's forgotten them and overlooked them, and be able to bring like a tangible presence of God into their lives and let them know that God hasn't forgotten. Mm-hmm. In fact, he's left the 99 to come find them. Hey, um, we just want to thank you guys for getting behind us this year. It's meant the world to us. Um, your financial support, but even more than that, just your moral support and knowing that these awesome people who are pursuing Jesus in Campbellsville are partners with us, and we're doing the same thing over here in Long Beach. We love you guys. Hey, Vineyard Campbellsville. This is Grant Dawson, and I'm standing in the Reset House in Newport, Kentucky, right across from Cincinnati. Uh, The Reset House is for men that are coming out of prison or rehab and are looking to do things differently with their lives really reset their lives. So about four years ago, we decided let's uh, give them God's best. Let's treat them like they are sons of the king of the universe. And so we have this awesome house here. You actually see a little bit of it as I talk to you, uh, where they're getting a really nice house and being surrounded by a lot of awesome people. And then we were going to expect a lot out of them. That's the idea behind the reset house. And we don't want guys just being sober we're looking for them to become servant leaders, to actually be transformed. The only way they do that is through Jesus. And so every Tuesday night we have a Bible study. We have a recovery meeting. We do it in here. Sometimes we do it in the living room. Uh, but we're actually also guys are in church. And what's happening is they're actually being transformed and seeing that there's a purpose for their lives. And they're actually, a lot of them are coming back after they graduate to come help teach the Bible studies or lead the recovery meetings. So it's really awesome. We've had about 60 guys that have actually come through the house in those four years. So where does your money go? Uh, well, it costs about 30000 a year just to operate the house between mortgage, insurance, utilities. Uh, but we're actually able to use extra money that comes in like your all's to be able to transform this third floor into an awesome game room for the guys to be able to just build camaraderie. We want this to be like family. Uh, and this allows us to really do that. We also do hangout nights once a month. We do Reds games. We go on canoeing. uh, And it's just showing a new normal. You can have fun without drugs. So thank you for your investment into the kingdom. Uh, Pray for us. We appreciate your prayers. And if you want any more info, go to ResetMinistries.org. Love you. Isn't that cool? I wish we had time to give every single one of the people on the video this morning a whole Sunday so they could share their story with you because what they're doing is so much more. Uh, There's so much more that's happening in every one of these places. And um, I wanted to show these people because we've sown into them this year and I want you to see what it looks like to sell your life for the gospel. And these are four stories that are connected to us, but you may not know them. And if you got a chance to know them, it would be, be amazing. Um, totally amazing. Here's what I want to do. I want to read a scripture this morning. We're going to sort of jump off of these videos. We're going to look at this passage here in Mark chapter 1. I feel like all the people in the videos this morning embody this passage in particular. Starting in verse 16, it says this, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, being Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, 
for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of, De- son of Zebedee, and his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. I want to talk about following Jesus this morning, and I want to talk about practically what that really means. What does it really mean to follow Jesus? And what does it really mean to give your life to the gospel? What does it actually look like? A lot of times we can talk about things like following Jesus or selling your life for the gospel. And it can be so esoteric that we don't really know what it means. But what does it practically practically look like? Well, the first thing that following Jesus means, and the first thing that being a disciple of, of Jesus means, is it means that at some point, at some point, there's a really good chance that you're going to have to step into something brand new. You're going to have to step into something brand new. One of the things that we see in the text this morning is we see that Simon, that'd be Peter, and his brother Andrew, along with John and his brother James, they're all fishermen. And every one of these guys just showed up for work. They showed up for work every single morning. They went out, got in the boat, and they went fishing. They didn't do that some mornings. They did that every morning. Every single morning. Um, And not only were they fishermen every single morning, but they came most likely from generations of fishermen. Most likely, Peter's granddaddy was a fisherman, and most likely his great-granddaddy was a fisherman. Most most likely, everyone in their family were fishermen. This is what they knew. And that means a couple things. Number one, uh, they were faithful. They just showed up. And uh, number two, uh, this is what they knew. This is what they really knew. How many of you understand if you show up and do something every single day, you eventually, you, you learn it. And then after you learn it, a proficiency comes. You actually get good at it. These guys were good fishermen. And this is how they make their living. Up to the point that Jesus comes along and says, Hey guys, fishermen, faithful, making a living, good at what you do, come from generations of fishermen. I would like you to stop what you're good at, what you've always done, and what your family identity is tied into, and I would like you to come and follow me. Out into the brand new places. None of these guys imagined it. None of these guys imagined what Jesus was inviting them into. Now let me say something here. There's something to be said for being faithful. When we're talking about being a disciple means getting called into something new. There's something to be said for being faithful. There's something to be said for being steady. And there's something to be said for loyalty. Steadiness, loyalty, perseverance, endurance, showing up every day, faithfulness, all of those are kingdom things. In fact, there's aspects of who God is that you cannot know about or enter into unless you are steady, faithful, loyal, and enduring. You just can't know them because God is steady, faithful, loyal, and enduring. All of these guys were steady, loyal, faithful, and enduring. They showed up every single day to go to work. Um, And how many of you have met people who jump from one new thing to the next? All the time. Just always looking for that new thing. The trouble with always jumping from one new thing to the next is that you never really find it. Most of the time we're jumping around from one new thing to the next because we're looking for something easier or something quicker or something more lucrative. But people who bounce around a lot, they never get rooted in. And until they get rooted in, the the good stuff can't come out of the soil into their life. So there's something to be said for faithfulness. However, however, even though there is something to be said for 
said for faithfulness and steadiness. There's also something to be said for Jesus most likely is going to show up at some point in your life and ask you to stop doing the thing that you've always done and come out with him into a brand new area. There's also something in God's kingdom that's to be said for risking. And there's also something about God's kingdom that brings us out into a place that we just never imagined and don't know anything about. Almost every single follower of Jesus will eventually experience this thing where Jesus calls you away from everything that you knew or worked for or valued out into the complete unknown. These guys didn't know where they were going. And, they got, and these guys didn't even know who they were following. How many of you understand that when Jesus shows up on the shore that day and says, get out of your boats and follow me, they don't know where they're going. And they don't know who they're really even following. Different, isn't it? They didn't. They may have known Jesus by reputation, maybe this much, but they didn't. How many of you understand that if you know someone by reputation, you still don't know them? You don't know them until you travel with them, right? They didn't know who Jesus was at this moment. Uh, They didn't even know where they were going. Jesus didn't give them a road map. They didn't know one single thing. The other thing I want you to notice here is that this life of a disciple, this life of faithfulness, but encountering Jesus and coming out into the unknown, all of this happens at work. All of this happens at work. Some of us think that our jobs or our current circumstances are actually inhibiting us from following the Lord or uh, receiving a calling or making that next step in God. And the truth is, your job and my job, no one's job is ever standing in the way from Jesus doing the next thing that he wants to do. All of these guys are just showing up. Your job is not the problem. My job is not the problem. Your studies are not the problem. My studies are not the problem. Your family is not the problem. My family is not the problem. None of these things are barriers. Jesus shows up right where you're at and he invites people into a new place. But the first step, the first step to being invited by Jesus into a new place most likely is living well. These guys showed up every day. There's something about faithfulness that actually qualifies you to receive a new call from God. Uh, There's something about living well that actually positions you to be in the place. What if if Peter had not gone to work that morning? Have you thought about that? See, faithfulness matters. Faithfulness isn't the only thing that matters, but it really matters. Faithfulness, steadiness, endurance, all of these things are the foundation from which God calls us out into something new. What What if Andrew and James and John decided to sleep in that morning? What would happen? We wouldn't be reading about Peter, James, John, and Andrew. We'd be reading about some other dudes. They would have missed their moment. It's all happening at work. Not only that, but faithfulness in one area seems to be a qualifier for receiving a new call. Doing life well in one season sets, sets you and I for being promoted in a new season. Even in things that seem unspiritual. A lot of times we, we do the math and we go, well, spiritual things are things that happen at church and then you know things that happen at home or at my job are not spiritual. Not true. They're, it's all spiritual. It's a false dichotomy. And what happens at home or at work sets us up for what God wants to do in other areas of our life. It's my prayer as a pastor here. It's my prayer that 
vineyard people would be known around town and all over Kentucky for being the hardest working, the steadiest employees, the best students, and the most faithful friends. Because I know if we become that, we'll receive a new call from Jesus. I don't know that that's our reputation right now, but it's my prayer. The other thing I want you to see in the text this morning is that the kingdom comes by invitation. The kingdom comes by invitation. Peter and Andrew, John, they're all standing in the boat. Jesus shows up on the shore and he says, hey guys, why don't you guys follow me? And they begin to follow him. He just gives them an invitation. Now the reason this is important is because what it functionally means is that the kingdom doesn't come by coercion. God doesn't make anyone do anything. Jesus didn't hold anyone hostage at gunpoint. He didn't twist anyone's arm. And he didn't force anybody to do anything. Now, if he didn't force Peter and Andrew to follow him, he will not force you or me to follow him. Now, this is gentle But ultimately, at least at the beginning, the gentleness of Jesus is a big, huge, fat problem for us. Because you and I, if we were really honest on the front end, would rather have a forceful Jesus who makes us do things. That way, if it doesn't go right, we can blame him. And that way, we have the assurance of knowing that every single thing is going to work out right, right? Like we, we would rather have Jesus show up and say, you have to do this. We would rather have Jesus show up and say... You're going to do this or X, Y, Z. That is never, ever the way the kingdom comes. And if you have a voice in your head that is, that is intimidating, it is not the Lord. The Lord's voice is always, come along, comma, if you want. They respond to Jesus' invitation. And even this morning, my feeling, the reason I wanted to talk about this and show some of this this morning is because I have this feeling that Jesus is inviting several people here into something new. And, and because he's inviting several people here into something new, we really need to get a hold of this. His invitation will not come as a twisting of arms. His invitation will not be begging. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't beg people to do the right thing. He doesn't beg people to come along and follow him. And he doesn't hold anyone hostage at, gun, at gunpoint. He just invites. So one of the things that you have to get your head around right now, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, if you want to be a true disciple, is you have to get your head and your heart around the fact that God is probably speaking in quieter tones and it's way less forceful than you think. Now, the reason this is important is this. It's because every other ruler that we know in the world places demands on people. Very few rulers invite people. See, the kings, the kings and the shapers of this world tell people what to do. We assume that Jesus is like our boss at work. He's actually not. He invites He invites. And so if you want to be a follower of Jesus, we're going to have to tune our heart and our ears to the the quieter tones and to the gentle nature of who Jesus is. He's actually really gentle. And you can can tell him no. How many of you have had somebody ask you to lunch and you're like, blow that off, right? See, I'm a professional at blowing stuff off. I'm a professional. Just as easy as it is to blow someone off that you don't want to have lunch with, it's just that easy to blow a significant life-changing invitation from God off. He doesn't twist arms. 
What does it mean to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus? It means not knowing what you're getting into. We've touched on this a little bit, but I want to hit this again. It means having really no clue what you're getting into. When you start following Jesus, the truth is you don't know what you're getting into. No one does. And we struggle here because it's so risky. And we struggle because we love outcomes. Not just you, but I love outcomes. I want to know the outcome up front. And when you start following Jesus, you won't know the outcome up front. Not only that, but we love what we know. We, we love the stability of what we know. But Jesus shows up with enigmatic invitations. You think, enigmatic invitations? What are you talking about? Well, try this one on. Hey, why don't you lifelong fishermen, fishermen from generations of fishermen, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. How many of you understand that Peter and James and Andrew and John had no idea what Jesus is really talking about when he says, I will make you fishers of men. How many of you understand that when Peter begins to follow Jesus into the invitation of becoming a fisher of men, he had no clue that one day he would be standing up in front of a crowd of 20,000 hostile people who just a few days before had helped put Jesus to death on the cross. How many of you understand that Peter had no clue he'd be standing up in front of that crowd saying, you guys killed him. He's the son of God. That's fisher of men stuff. How many of you understand that Peter had no clue that he would be the pastor to the Jews helping them to find new life in Jesus? Fisher of men. He had no clue. How many of you understand that Peter had no clue that to follow Jesus and being a fisher of men, he had no clue it would eventually lead him to being crucified upside down? What's the point? The point is, when you say yes to Jesus and you begin to follow him, you really don't know where you're going. Some of us have our lives all mapped out, and we think, well, I've said yes to Jesus, and basically that just means I'm not going to hell and I'm going to heaven. Uh, wow, that is wildly, wildly inaccurate and may or may not help you actually follow Jesus at all. Who knows what he's going to do? Who knows? Who knows? Like, you may be so settled into your life right now, you may be, you may be living at this really settled peaceful place where everything's just kind of chugging along everything's good career's good family's good things are happening whatever it's kind of how i planned it's what i hope for and if you're really 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 a follower of jesus in five years all of that might be completely different you may be working really hard for something and it may be getting traction you may have spent the last 10 years grinding your face off on something only to sometime this year have Jesus invite you out of that and go do a thing you've never thought of before. Like, don't get settled. No one knows what they're saying yes to when you say yes to Jesus. Getting settled into thinking you know what you said yes to will actually divorce you from being able to follow him. No one, they didn't know where they were going. They didn't even know the guy they were following. This is the part that, cra- I love this. I really love this because it, it, it should, in some ways, in some small way, upend our ideas of whatever, whatever coming to know Jesus is in conversion. Like conversion isn't knowing Jesus. Conversion is starting to know him a little bit. That's what it is. Like what does it mean to be a believer? What does it mean? Salvation is the beginning processes of knowing God, whom I do not know. Salvation isn't, I know God. No, no, you don't. You, you started to know him a little bit. Peter and James get out of the boat and they go and they begin to follow someone around they do not know. 
and they start to know him. So much better. It's relational. One of the things we're getting at here is it's relational. It isn't just transactional, it's relational. We want clarity. Jesus offers, I'll make you fishers of men. Part of what that means as well is because, uh, because we're sort of a prophetic community, we, we, we welcome the gifts of the Spirit, especially the gift of prophecy. That's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We try to welcome the gift of prophecy. How many of you have prophetic words about like stuff God has spoken over your life and wants you to do? How many of you all have those? Good. You should hang on to those. Uh, your prophetic words mean that you know almost nothing. I, when Jesus said, I would make you fishers of men, he was speaking prophetically to those guys, and they had no clue what it really was. We should hang on to our prophetic promises as being invitations from God and not the absolute concrete totality of what he wants to do. The truth is, you can have a million prophetic promises. You can go talk to 17 prophets. You can get 100 prophetic words, and at the end of the day, you only know slightly more than you did at the beginning. Am I saying it isn't valuable? No, it's profoundly valuable. But it's valuable in ways that we just don't know. More people end up falling off the wagon with Jesus because they got a prophetic word and they thought it was this, when in reality it was something way different. I'll I'll give you one example. I was once hanging out with a guy, and and in a meeting, a prophetic person prophesied over this guy that he would have influence like Billy Graham, like leading people to Jesus. Dude's church never got above 500. This guy was really, really bummed out after several years because of this word. Never mind the fact that what he couldn't see was that everyone in his city of 50,000 people knew this guy and loved him. And on a relational day-to-day coming and going at the coffee shop, at the doctor's office, at the bookstore, at the work, he had so much influence and had led so many people to the Lord, but his church never grew. And he was disappointed because he got a prophetic word and put it in one box when the prophetic word was true, but in a completely different way than he could even begin to understand. Does that make sense? Like, hang on to that word and understand you still don't know much. We don't know where we're going. The good news is that the guide is good, though. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means that money isn't everything. That, this guy's going to love this next part. I love this part. It means that money isn't everything. Uh, catch this for a second if you can. All these men are in the boat and they're working. It's their job. It's what they've always done. It's their income and it's their livelihood. And they've been doing it their whole lives, so they're probably pretty good at it. And they might not have been rich, but they weren't suffering. They were making it all right. Right? Like if you've been a fisherman your whole life, you eventually get good at catching fish. And you may not be the richest dude in town, but you've gotten good enough at fishing that you're making a living. And there's Christmas presents under the tree. And then Jesus shows up and says, hey, guys, why don't you follow me where there is no paycheck? Why don't you leave your job? How many of you understand that Jesus put no one on the payroll that day? No one was placed on the payroll. Jesus invited men who had spent their entire lives 
investing in a skill set that provided income. And in one moment, they gave up everything they knew, their income, their paychecks, and their talents. And they followed around a guy they did not know for no income and no paycheck for the promise that possibly they could enter God's kingdom in a way that they had never imagined. What does this mean? What it functionally means is money isn't everything. It won't make you happy. It doesn't fulfill. It, 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 doesn't, it, doesn't, put, it doesn't keep people together. It, it, it doesn't fill up that thing on the inside. You can, you can chase dollars and you can chase dollars and you can chase dollars. And at the end of the day, you can be totally miserable. Where's the life at? The life is in Jesus. Like he's way better. One of the things that I know is that in every person's heart, most people can't articulate this, but it's true. On the inside of every person's heart, what we're hoping for and what we're dying for is we're dying for that thing that cannot be rusted, cannot be corroded, cannot be stolen, and cannot be taken away. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, but treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrode and a thief cannot steal. Meaning that the treasure is Jesus. Like it actually makes logical sense only in the kingdom of heaven to give up your job and follow a man with no paycheck. That's totally logical. Everyone on earth tells you that's illogical. Everyone in heaven says makes perfect sense. How many of you understand that when those four guys got out of the boat and followed Jesus around that day, that if they had gone and talked to the elders first, they would have been talked out of it? No, you... you, Who are you following? I don't really know. Where are you going? Have no clue. Is there pay? Don't think so. You shouldn't go. What does that put on display? It puts on display a kind of kingdom that will keep you from Jesus. That thinking will at times keep you from the Lord. Sometimes money is actually a blockage to following Jesus. You guys remember the rich young ruler? Hey, what do I do to have to get saved? And Jesus says, well, why don't you take everything you have and give it away to the poor? And he went away sad because he had great wealth. Bummer. By the way, the only other person, the only other person that gets an invitation from Jesus to come and follow him besides the disciples is the rich young ruler. And I actually believe that in that moment, Jesus is offering him an apostolic role to come and follow him. He goes away sad. That's that's amazing. Riches will at times keep you from loving and following God. That's hard. I know it is. But it's true. Money isn't life's highest calling. Does it mean that having money is bad? No, it doesn't mean that having money is bad. Does it mean that running a business for profit is bad? No, that's called sustainability. But it does mean that money and stability and comfort cannot be our highest priority because if it is, we will surely miss the invitation of Jesus at some point. If money, stability, career, if those are all our highest priority, we will miss the Lord at some point. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Finally, it means, in some way, it means danger. Listening to Jesus is the most dangerous thing a person can do. Listening and doing what he says. Because if you begin to listen and do what Jesus says, he will destroy your life. (laughs) 
He, he will totally upend whatever life you have right now. He, he will set it on fire. It will be unrecognizable. Jesus has a way of totally smashing the status quo. Even if it took you years to build, and even if it's taken you more than a decade to get it just right, Jesus will light that on fire and he won't even apologize. Consider this. If you've been having a quiet time for years, and if you've read your Bible every single morning and prayed, but you've never felt invited by Jesus to walk into something risky and downright scary, that should be a mild concern. If you have read your Bible for five years and never felt like Jesus asked you to do something uncomfortable, a little bit scary, something that might cause you to change your life in a significant way, that should be concern if you've been a prayer person and you've just prayed and prayed and prayed and you've never heard god say why don't you do this and the thing that he asked you to do is unnerving makes you feel somewhat intimidated and a little bit scary you should be pretty concerned Reason being is this. Sometimes we have to overcome our careers in order to follow the Lord. And sometimes we even have to overcome our families in order to follow the Lord. It's actually right in the text. It's right in the text. James and John get out of the boat, their career, and they leave their father. See, sometimes sometimes we have to leave careers and family in order to follow Jesus. Uh, Some of us in this room Some of us in this room right now are completely stuck because we have more loyalty to work and family than the call of Jesus. Now, does this mean that Jesus wants us to be poor and without jobs and wrecked homes? No, of course not. It just means that he wants to have the right to reorganize all of that. He wants to reorganize it around his plan and his kingdom. Parents are important. Brothers and sisters are important. And Jesus wants the right to reorganize that. Having, having a safe place where all the kids live together and the cousins and the aunts and the uncles and they all share and it's all joined up and it's all awesome, that's really cool. And Jesus wants the right to tell some of those people to move halfway across the planet where people do not have family so that they could be an aunt or an uncle, a mother, a father, a brother, or a sister to people who have no one. See, See, this is, this is the way it works. It, it's been said that blood is thicker than water, and it's true. But the spirit is thicker than both. Uh, your natural family, your natural family is important. But there is a family that's tighter than your own blood can, and it's called the kingdom of God. So we need to reorganize that. Careers are important. Making a living is important. Doing something you love is important. But Jesus wants the right to be able to reprioritize, reconfigure, set on fire, set in a new direction. He wants to be the boss. You see, Grant left teaching. Guy in our last video there, Grant Dawson, he left teaching. He was a teacher at Taylor County High School for about four years. And they flipping loved him up there. I think Grant could have been the principal. They loved him so much, Grant could have been the principal. They would have given him the keys. The kids loved him. The administration loved him. And he ended up moving his wife and his children into a part of town most people don't want to live in order to 
do community and do church and share Jesus with his neighbors and then ended up buying this big house with his father so that men who were getting out of prison could have a place to rehab and a place to reconnect and restart their life. And then he ends up starting a company so that the men from prison who are living in this house could have a job. How many of you understand that when you get out of jail, it's hard to get a job? Grant starts a company so that people can have a job. Now, here's the other thing about Grant. Not only was he a great teacher, not only do people like him, Grant's one of, one of the probably 10 smartest people I know, and he's naturally entrepreneurial. He could be a millionaire by now, no problem. And he lives in a neighborhood that not everyone wants to live in, working with people most people want to stay away from because he said yes to Jesus. Ashley Mulder, she was here with us. Wonderful girl. She moved to Jackson, Mississippi. How many of y'all, nothing happening in Jackson, Mississippi. And she, she wanted, she moved to Jackson, Mississippi because she felt like God was inviting her to share her life with the poor. Can I tell you something for a second? This is going to sound mean, but it's really not. How many of you, do you guys know what the problem with poor people is? There's a reason they're poor. That's the problem. And the, the, the problem with poor people is, is there's never one reason why anyone's poor. There's always like 50. And they're all connected and tied in knots together. And how many of you understand when you start hanging out with the poor, it's exhausting. And Ashley said, I'll live with them. I would rather be exhausted with the poor than be rested with the rich, is what she said. The psalmist said it like this, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in your house. This is what it means to sell your life for the kingdom. And then Alan and Anna, they moved to Long Beach, California, which, make no mistake, is really beautiful and and profoundly resistant to the gospel. One of the biggest LGBT populations in America is there. Also, one of the biggest occult populations in America is there. People who are profoundly, profoundly resistant to the gospel. Uh, Over 50 churches have been planted in Long Beach since 2002, only six remain. It's not just down and out in Long Beach, it's up and out. It's people who who want a form of spirituality, but they don't want any part of Jesus and the church. And Alan and Anna have said, we want to go and put our lives in a place where we will most likely be profoundly rejected. How many of you all like rejection? Would you like to sign up for that? It's a bit of a, a Nineveh scenario, but I actually believe that Long Beach is going to come to Jesus, like the whole city, just like Nineveh. And then Greg and Jen, they move halfway around the world to be dorm parents to girls, little girls, 10 little girls in Indonesia. And the reason they're dorm parents to 10 little girls in Indonesia is because these little girls, their parents are missionaries in that Southeast Asia region. There's a boarding school and they leave their kids there, which has to be so hard, right? And these girls are all young. They're like, you know, eight, eight and nine years old. And Greg and Jen, they, they lived, they moved in there and they're dorm parents for them. And they teach at a school and they love these girls. And, you know, when their mom's not there, they're the mom. And when their dad's not there, they're the dad. And how many of you understand that you don't get famous by being a dorm parent to 10 girls in Indonesia? But how many of you know that in heaven, Greg and Jen are known more than most people on the earth? Why? Because they sold their life for the gospel. They said yes to Jesus. What all of these people did that we saw in the video this morning, as well as the people that we read in our gospel this morning, 
is they let Jesus be the center. See, you, you cannot add Jesus to your otherwise well-organized life. He's not an add-on and he's not a mix-in. He's not the garage, he's the mansion. And one of the things that we've done here in the South in particular is that we have assumed that Jesus was the garage and not realized that he's the mansion. Uh, it shows up in a lot of different ways. Uh, ways that have actually been somewhat useful, but, but, but really point to the disease that sits inside of us. It's really ingrained. I'll just throw this one out. This will make some people uncomfortable. I don't care. Um, here in the South, one of the things we talk about is asking Jesus into my heart. Asking Jesus into my heart essentially means, Jesus, you can be my garage. We don't ask Jesus into our heart. He asks us into his heart. We don't invite him into our life. He invites us into his life. Peter and James did not invite Jesus onto their boat. He invited them out of their boat to follow him. One of the, one of the malignancies that affects the church is this idea that Jesus can be added onto my life. That I can keep everything the way I have it. All this stuff. All my proclivities, everything that I'm into, everything that I like, everything that I find my identity in, I can keep it just the way it is and bring Jesus in, not realizing that Jesus is going to reorganize all of that. He is never satisfied being the garage. He is always the mansion. And we have to reorganize and reprioritize based upon that reality. You don't get Jesus in your heart. He places you in his heart. Now, like, look, people who have asked Jesus in their heart, they're going to heaven. Like, it's not a big deal. But it points out, it points out the slight malignancy that we have, especially in America, and we actually believe that we can just tack Jesus on. We can just nail him up like one more board. It doesn't work. Well, I've wanted to share this this morning because I have a sneaky feeling that Jesus wants to invite probably more than a handful of people here at the vineyard into a new kind of life. Probably won't be everybody. Because a lot of people here at the Vineyard are doing just what God wants you to do. But some people who have been doing just what God wanted you to do are about to receive an invitation into something brand new that you never imagined. Uh, some people who have made a real good life are going to be invited to come out and take a risk. Some people who have arranged things and you got, you got your money straight, you got your 401k, in fact you got two of them. And you got one for all your kids, and everything's just right. And Jesus is going to say, why don't, you, why don't you cash in the 401k and go do this other thing that's going to be really risky? Some of us are going to be invited to move away from the thing that we're known for and the people that we know and go see people we do not know who, and, and, and live in a place where we, where we know nothing. I, I feel like God wants to do some things. So what does that look like? It, it could look like a billion things. It could look like a billion things. And I, I'm honestly a little bit... I hate to even say because then we just get all boxed into the four things Pastor Adam said it could be. So I won't say. But Jesus wants to reprioritize some of our lives. He wants, he wants to offer us an invitation to go and do and be something brand new we never imagined. He, he wants to touch that place of our heart that moth and rust cannot destroy and a thief cannot break in and steal. He, he wants to do that. Like... Like you may be thinking, well, I'm 45 years old and I've got my kids halfway grown up and I'm really settled and, my, and I've just finally got the promotion I'm looking for. Don't let that insulate you from receiving the thing you were actually made to do. Don't do it. You may, be, you may have just finished up a degree and thought you were going to do this and Jesus may have something entirely different for you. Let's listen. This is what it means to be a disciple. It means that the boat is not more important than him. 
The job is not more important, and our daddy is not more important. Our mama is not more important. What they hope for is not more important. Sometimes you need to leave all of that in order to really follow him. Amen? Why don't we stand up? We'll pray. I know that was really challenging. But the Lord wants to do some of this. Uh, I told first service, I think a lot of people who are with us right now are going to move away. I think our church is going to shrink and grow all this year. A, a healthy church is always shrinking and growing all at the same time. Um, it'll be sad, but it'll be awesome. I'm, I'm hoping that I get to stand with more than, more than a few people up front this year and go, bless you. I, I want to stand with some people and, and I want to pray them right out the back door. I do. We're out the front door. That'd be nicer, wouldn't it? We don't even have a back door here in the vineyard. We've got a couple side doors. But I do. I want to stand up here and I want to send some people out. I want some people to take a risk and go and follow Jesus in a way they never thought they would follow him. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we love you in this.